The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Dearly beloved, we greet you whether you are sitting here with us in the nave of Marsh Chapel or listening live over radio waves at WBUR 90.9 FM or on the internet stream at WBUR.org or listening later on the podcast. We welcome you on this, the third of our Bach Sundays this year. We started the year with the Kyrie and at Christmas time heard the Gloria. Today we hear the Credo. We bear a special greeting this morning to Dr. Scott Ellen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium, and their presence with us in the nave. We invite you to open your hearts and your minds as we glory in the artistry of Bach. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love, the true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 and 16 through 23. According to the grace God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For, if it is, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 119 with the antiphon. the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread, for your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life.
Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Glory to you, O Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, Give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. First, confession. Second, glorification. Third, belief. Here at last we turn with Bach in the movement of the Mass to belief. Credo, I believe. Brother Larry, I'm not sure I believe in hell anymore, a student stated with no small hint of trepidation. So, I asked in reply. Brother Larry, don't get me wrong, I'm totally down with Jesus, another student remarked. I'm just not sure he's the only way to God. Should you be? I inquired. Brother Larry, how can I believe in an almighty God who let my friend die like that? After a period of silence, I wondered aloud, after such a tragedy, can any of us believe in such a God? Should we? There is an underlying concern in these inquiries. This is the reason to bring them to a chaplain, 
even one who refuses to give a straight answer. The concern is what impact these beliefs, at odds with received tradition, might have on the salvation of those who hold them. If I believe the wrong things, can I be saved? This reduction of salvation to doctrinal conviction is not classical Christianity, but rather a modern phenomenon. It is a result of the encounter of Christianity with particular forms of Enlightenment rationalism, admittedly itself an evolution of Protestant thinking. Ironically, Christianity as right belief in this way takes a pernicious turn toward humanistic works righteousness. It insists that salvation is achieved by intellectual assent and not in the first instance by the grace of God. Frequently, it turns to idolatry by turning the Bible and belief therein into the gatekeeper of heaven. As the slogan goes, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. This is Christianity become Biblianity, in spite of Paul's injunction that no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If this misplaced emphasis on belief were limited to the Protestant Christians from whom it arose, it would be bad enough. Alas, given the way in which belief-oriented Christianity has become a taken-for-granted stream in the American conscious, it has become the predominant paradigm for interpreting all religious orientations in our pluralistic society. As we speak, the United States Supreme Court is in the process of hearing several religion cases. One regards prayer in legislative sessions. Two regard the right of corporations to deny birth control coverage on the basis of the religious beliefs of their owners. If their decisions in these cases follow their track record, and we should expect they will, it is likely that the court will err. The errors will not be on the basis of jurisprudence, but rather on the basis of a fundamental misunderstanding of religion as belief at the very foundation of American jurisprudence. In spite of the fact that there are no Protestants left on the Supreme Court, it is likely that all of the justices will prove themselves Protestant by proxy in making decisions based on a particular Protestant understanding of religion as belief. Given the transitions in the field of religious studies over the past 50 years, it is unlikely that any undergraduate religion major could graduate without a thorough understanding that belief is but one aspect of religion, and a minor one in many traditions. Little wonder, then, that Secretary of State John Kerry said, If I went back to college today, I think I would probably major in comparative religion because that's how integrated it is in everything that we are working on and deciding and thinking about in life today. Religion reduced to belief is dangerous. 
Assertions of belief are ways of delineating in-group and out-group boundaries. Right now, Arizona awaits the signature of their governor on legislation that would allow religion as belief to be cited as grounds for denying services to gay and lesbian couples. Beliefs become justifications for standing your ground against those who believe else or otherwise. For most of human history, the function of religion was in fact to just so delineate groups from one another. In the Axial Age, however, figures such as Socrates, Buddha, Confucius, and Jesus, among many others, were instrumental in the transformation of religion toward a universality that transcends difference. And so it is that Jesus rejects any justification of stand your ground. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is not to say that belief has no place in religion at all. The credo, in its proper context in the mass setting, where it comes third, is an excellent example of belief within the wider framework of the practices of religion. The credo is sung, that is, it is embodied in the voices of the choir, the tintinabulations of the orchestra, and the gestures of the conductor. It is the belief of individuals who belong to a community and to God. It is belief enacted, not belief intellected. Dr. Jarrett, tell us more about what we believe with Bach this morning. Most of you have heard my comparison of Bach's B minor mass as a great musical cathedral. And if you follow the ordering of the mass movements, we enter the narthex of that great cathedral in supplication with the Kyrie. We travel a little farther into the cathedral, into the great nave, where we're among a great congregation singing a hymn of praise, a Gloria in Excelsis Deo, as we heard in December. Today, we come to the crossing of that great musical cathedral with the credo, where the tenets of the faith are affirmed, are reaffirmed, revisualized, and practiced. Uh, In April, we'll enter the Holy of Holies with the Sanctus, and then turn renewed in our faith and travel out into the world with the Dono Nobis Pacem. Today, we come to the Credo, the third large movement of the B minor Mass. And if the Kyrie and the Gloria were written uh, 15 years before the Credo, we come to the, toward the last couple of years of Bach's life, 1748 and 1749, and he compiles this Credo, a series of nine movements of unparalleled a compendium of style, composition, and skill. Marsh Chapel congregants are now well familiar with Bach's interest in symmetrical structures and architectures. These nine movements unfold in such a way that the Crucifixus text comes as the centerpiece with the Et Incarnatus Est and the Et Resurrexit on either side. These three movements, the crux of the faith, if you will, 
formed the central portion of this grand credo setting. On either side, Bach sets extended portions of the text for arias, first a soprano alto duet, and then later a baritone solo. The first of these uh, arias depicts the three-in-one nature of God. You can follow it in the text of your bulletin. You'll hear the alto melody as an extension and mirror of the soprano melody, interweaving and informing one another, as if to depict being of one substance of the Father. The capstones on either end of the credo are two pairs of choruses. Each set begins with a movement proving Bach's skill and interest in the old 16th century style of a Renaissance motet. These two movements, the first Credo in Unum Deum and then later Confiteor, draw their compositional model from Gregorian chant melodies. Both movements yield in spectacular display to music in the high Baroque style with trumpets, timpani, and full-on display of Bach's unmatched mastery of the contrapuntal style. For us today, as we consider what tenets of faith mean to us and what a belief system might mean in the way that Brother Larry is talking about, we find some model in Bach himself, a lifelong practicing Lutheran who at the end of his life sets a Roman Catholic mass. What does that mean to us about Bach? It's difficult to know. We can't talk to him. We can read his letters and learn about Bach's faith, but we can take great example from his music. And in the words of Martin Luther, who said, the notes make the text live, or actually lebendig, the notes make the text living. We can find great comfort in the fact that these words, the credo, the universal text from the Roman Catholic Mass Ordinary, take on new meaning, unimagined proportion, unimagined and revisioned tenets of faith. Uh, compelled and impelled to new and even cosmic realities that we can't even have imagined because the music that Bach writes is so extraordinary. Um, for us as performers, the music leaps off the page and we hope for you as listener that it will challenge, transform, uh, and impel a new faith reality for you as well. Dearly beloved, what we believe with Bach this morning is the living and breathing of the life of faith. The words are ancient, the spirit is fresh. Believe then in God, who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send rain, sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Amen.
Spiritum Sanctum Do. 
remember that Bach gave us God's word, Mozart gave us God's laughter, and Beethoven gave us God's fire, and God gives us music that we might pray without words. Please join me in thanking Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium for their leadership of us in prayer this morning. We welcome you here in the nave once again and hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that next Sunday, following the service, the choir and collegium will once again board buses down to New York City and that on uh, the following Monday they will perform the Credo, the Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei uh, at Trinity Wall Street in New York. Uh, you will find a note in your bulletin about this endeavor and the opportunity to support it. We note that our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is away this week and we look forward to his return next Sunday. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you now and always. Amen. <laughs> 